0: There's a story. A little girl came to her father once one day and asked him for a nickel. And as the father was looking through his pockets, he found that he did not have any change. All that he had was a twenty-dollar bill. And he thought to himself, "Well, I know this is a lot of money for a little girl, but she's been really good." So he decided to give her that $20 bill to put into her piggy bank. And when he tried to give it to the little girl, the girl said, No, Dad, you don't understand. I want a nickel. To which the father replied, No, honey, you don't understand. This is a $20 bill. This is a bunch of nickels. And he continued to try to explain it to her, and she was just asking, Dad, why won't you just give me what I want? I want a nickel. And he tried to explain to her how many nickels are in a dollar and how many dollars are in a $20 bill, but she just wasn't having it. So the father began to look through the house and he finds a nickel, but he wants to give his daughter one more chance to choose between a $20 bill and a nickel. And the girl chose the shiny silver coin. The reason why I tell you this story this morning is because we often do the exact same thing when it comes to our spiritual life, don't we? We settle for nickels when there are 20s to be had. We're continuing our sermon series this morning on Philippians, and in today's passage, Paul once again is going to put himself forward as our example, and is going to show us how there is joy to be had, not in being content and complacent in your life spiritually, but by pressing on. So this morning, we are going to talk about how to experience joy by pressing on. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 16 this morning. Here's the first principle if you're going to experience joy by pressing on, don't be satisfied with where you are until you get to where you're going. Look at verse 12 in the first part of verse 13. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Now, I don't think I have to remind you of the fact that the uh, Christians at Philippi, they looked up to Paul, and rightfully so, right? I mean, he walked as close to God as, as anyone we know of in the New Testament. But in verse 12, Paul is revealing something very, very important about himself. Though previously he has shown the Judaizers, I'm more of a Jew than any one of you guys, And and though Paul knew that the Christians at Philippi looked to him as an example of what it means to be a faithful follower of Christ, Paul says this here, I am not there yet spiritually. There is still more work to be done in my life. We talked last week in verse 11 how Paul longed for Christ's return. And here he expresses in this verse, this has not yet happened. And he goes on again to say it in verse 13 for emphasis. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul wants to stress to the Christians at Philippi, I am not content with where I am because I have not yet gotten to where I'm supposed to be spiritually. Sometimes when driving and I'm trying to get somewhere, I often have a little voice in the back seat telling me, Dad, let's go to McDonald's. Let's go to Walmart. And I don't even dare drive by Chuck E. Cheese. Let's go here. Let's go there. She she can't read, but she can see the, you know, she knows the Walmart sign and knows the McDonald's sign. And she wants us to stop off place to place and stay a while. And I have to tell her, we can't stop and stay a while. We have somewhere we have to be. We have a place we need to be. And this is Paul's mentality. He knows, I am not yet where I need to be spiritually. And instead of taking a break from that pursuit, he says, I press on. To lay hold of that which is lacking in me. Paul is not satisfied with where he is until he gets to where he's going. In this verse of Scripture, Paul also clears up two misconceptions that people often have about the Christian faith. And I want to share those with you briefly this morning. One is the false view that we can be perfect in this life. There were some in Paul's day as well as today who think that perfection is possible in this life. They believe one can reach the point where sin is no longer an issue and living perfectly for Christ is possible. Anybody feel like they're there yet? No, me neither. But there are some who do. Some who think this way. Though many of us may not be guilty of that, thinking in that way when it comes to ourselves, we are at times guilty of that when we look at others, don't we? Aren't we? Let's be honest, how many of you have looked at someone else and said, that girl or that guy, they've got it all together spiritually. They are so far beyond where I am. I mean, they've just got the Christian life down pat, and I'm just struggling. How many of y'all have ever felt that way about somebody? And it discourages us, doesn't it, when we begin to think in this way? Paul's words should bring us comfort here. You ever get discouraged thinking, You'll never be where somebody else is spiritually, or you're never going to get there. Well, well, Paul says here, I'm, in, in his earthly life, he said, I'm not there yet either, nor will I be in this life. And believe me when I say, if Paul who, as we talked about earlier, walked as close to God as any we know of in, in the New Testament. If Paul, who started churches all over the known world, who had risked his life more than a few times for Christ, who had been beaten and left for dead at times, and who, while writing this letter of joy, was sitting in prison, uncertain about what day would be his last. If Paul... If there was something still lacking from his life spiritually, how much more so is something still lacking from ours? Now some of you may be saying, well that just sounds kind of negative. You're sounding really pessimistic this morning. That sounds like looking at the glass half empty. Why not instead of focusing on what's lacking in my life, why not I just focus on what I already have? The accomplishments I've already made, the things I've already done, why not focus on those things? Because focusing on what is lacking is what will drive you and push you to press on and what will keep you from plateauing spiritually. Like him or not, Kobe Bryant, saw some people perk up here, is, is one of uh, the best players in the NBA. Hands down, he is. And I was watching a segment recently they were doing on Kobe Bryant how he is constantly watching film from all the great players in the NBA. In his home theater, of course. He's got his home theater and he's watching Dr. J and Wilt Chamberlain, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and he's just breaking down, uh, you know, what made them successful. In their game, and, and what he does is he takes some of these moves and he implements those into his game to improve his game. This is the best player in the NBA. And he still knows that he needs improvement and is striving to be better. Now, what if he just sat around all day, just looked at all his championship trophies that he already has, all his MVPs, all of his accomplishments, and just said, I'm just going to focus on this stuff. His game probably wouldn't improve, would it? It may not get worse, but it's not going to improve. He's just going to plateau. And I began to think when I was was watching this segment of the countless number of people who play basketball who think, you know, they've got a good handle on the game, who are content with where they are in the game and therefore see no need to kind of put in the practice, to put in the work. Listen, if, if Kobe Bryant still needs improvement in his game and is putting forth the work to do it, how much more so should others who play the game? And the same is true of us when we examine Paul's statements here. If Paul was not there yet spiritually and still saw a need to press on, how much more so should we? Many of us have allowed our spiritual life to plateau. We've become content with our status quo Christian life and, and are making no strides toward godliness. Paul here is, is putting himself forward as, as our example and an encouragement in, in, uh, and attempt to encourage us to continually be focused on, on what's lacking in our lives, so we'll press on. Check out this uh, quote by John MacArthur here. It's a good one. He says, "True believers." will not pursue the prize of spiritual perfection until they recognize the need to improve their condition. Here's the second misconception Paul clears up for us about the Christian faith. The second misconception about the Christian faith that Paul clears up is the fact that Christianity should not be viewed as a ticket to ride, but a race to be run. Let me say that again. Christianity is not to be thought of as a ticket to ride, but a race to be run. Many people view Christianity as just a ticket to ride. It's a thing you kind of go and you, you get and then you're good to go. Then you can just sit back and enjoy the ride, just enjoy the gravy train to heaven. The problem is that's a far cry from New Testament Christianity. Christianity is a race to be run and there's a beginning that's being made right with God there's a middle living rightly for God and striving to be more like Christ and there's an end finishing well for God it's not a ticket to ride but a race to be run if 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 Christianity were simply a ticket to ride Throughout the Scripture, you'd have Paul saying, Yeah, I know things are tough for you, but just sit back and enjoy the ride. Things are going difficult in the church, but you know what? You got the ticket. Sit back and just enjoy the ride. But Paul doesn't use those phrases, does he? What kind of phrases does Paul use? Press on. Run the race. Run to win. If we're going to experience joy through pressing on, we have to view Christianity as a race to be ran and won. Remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? We all were told that story, right, growing up? Remember how the story goes? The hare starts out way ahead of the tortoise. He's miles ahead. And he gets to the point in the race where he's like, I've started good, I've run good so far, I'm way ahead. So he just becomes content with his place in the race and sits down and, and uh, rests. And the tortoise, although he's much slower than the hare, continues to keep on going. He's not content with where he is until he gets to where he's going. And we know the story, right? The tortoise ends up winning. Many times we're like the hare, aren't we? We're content with the way things are in our life spiritually. We think, hey, I'm good. I've done this. I've done that. I've checked this box. I've punched that, cl- that card. I prayed this prayer. Therefore, I'm good. And we've stopped running the race. Once again, we settle for nickels when there are 20s to be had in our spiritual life. Paul says, don't be content with where you are until you get to where you're going. Number two, don't fixate on the past, but strain forward to the future. Verse 13, Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind... And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now some, if you're reading that verse really closely, you'd be like, hang on just a minute. Paul said one thing, but he mentions three here. He says, one thing I do, but then he says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. That's because the one thing that Paul is referring to is press on. That's the verb. He's saying the one thing I do is press on. And forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead, those are the participles. They explain how Paul is going to press on. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, I press on, and how I press on is by forgetting what lies behind and straining forward toward what lies ahead. First, Paul says, I press on by forgetting what lies behind. The past... Has a way of creeping back into our lives, doesn't it? And a lot of times it can hinder us spiritually if we let it. If there was anybody with a checkered past, it was Paul. Remember, we talked about in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, that he made mention of the fact that at one time he had persecuted the church. And the fact that there were Christians put in prison and some even dead because of Paul could have easily haunted him to the point of hindering him from pressing on. The past has a tendency just to creep back in and affect what we're doing in the present. Over Thanksgiving, I was at my mother and father-in-law's house, and we were watching the Boise State-Nevada football game. Some of you are probably like, why were you watching that game? Well, it was late at night. They were the only game on. And uh, it was a really exciting game. And it came down to the end of the game. And all the kicker had to do was make the field goal and they would win. And if he missed it, they had to go into overtime. And guess what? He misses it. Sending it into overtime. Not only that, that same kicker was given the opportunity to go ahead in overtime by, by kicking a field goal. And I thought to myself, I bet he misses it. And the reason why was because that was such a key, key chance that he missed early in the game to put it away in the, late in the game in the fourth quarter that I bet he's still thinking about that pass kick and he's probably going to miss this one as well. I know that sounds really pessimistic, but uh, that's just what came to mind. And sure enough, he missed it. He's probably thinking about, what did I do wrong back here? How could I change this? How could I change that? Trying to kick it and he, and he missed the field goal and they lost the game. Here's my point. Once again, focusing too much on the past hinders what we're trying to do in the present. So Paul says, forget what is behind you so you can run the race before you. Not only do we need to forget the bad stuff, sometimes we need to put the good stuff behind us too, don't we? We're the kind of people we love trophies. We love to say, I've done this and I've done that and I've accomplished this and I've accomplished that. And Satan is crafty. He would love more than anything for you to be focused on your past successes for God that you're hindered from any new ones in the future. Listen, the enemy can do nothing about your past successes. So that's why he'd love more than anything for you to be like, yeah, and just hold on to those trophies. But believe me when I say he'll do anything he can to prevent more in the future. Listen to what Tony Evans once said. He, he said this, if, if you spend all your time today thinking about your failures or successes of yesterday, then you will ruin your tomorrow. Paul rightfully understood this, didn't he? That's why he didn't allow himself to be fixated upon these things, because he knew they would hinder his walk for Christ today. He not only says forget what is behind you, put that behind you, but he also says I press on by by straining forward to what lies ahead. That word straining forward is an athletic metaphor and it just means stretching every muscle to its limit. When I was in track in high school, our coach used to tell us to run through the finish line even, even throwing your body forward if necessary, because a race could come down to a tenth of a second. And in track, even if you begin the race good and you run throughout, it's how you finish. that truly matters. How are you running your race today? Right now? Is there something in your past, good or bad, that's hindering you the race you need to run today and will keep you from finishing well maybe you've been running the race for some time and you think man I've done a lot for God in my life now it's time for me to sit back and let these young folks come in and do their time maybe you're here this morning and say you just don't know what I've done There's too much bad in my past. God could never use me because of the things that I've done in my past. Maybe that's keeping you from being all that God has called you to be today. Whatever it may be, it's important that we don't let these things hinder us pressing on. Yesterday is like a rearview mirror. When you go somewhere, at times you need to look in your rear view to avoid a hazardous move, right? But you don't get forward, you, you, you don't get anywhere by looking in the rear view, do you? So don't fixate on the past, but strive forward to, toward what's ahead. Number three, we want to experience joy through pressing on. We have to avoid putting forth effort without purpose. Verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think if we looked at Paul's day planner, we would see one busy preacher, wouldn't we? But here's what you need to understand about Paul. There was purpose behind everything that he did. He says here in this verse, I press on towards what? I continually bear down towards what? The prize. The prize. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In Paul's life, you see both maximum effort and clear purpose. He's pressing on toward the prize. And what's the prize? It's ultimately being made complete in Christ. It's constantly at the forefront of Paul's mind. A while back, I was reading a gospel track, and it was, it was well written and uh, talking about how, how to be saved. And I noticed on the back, it was pretty thorough because it even had a follow-up. If you do make this decision, what you need to do next is go to church, read your Bible, pray every day, and witness to others, which is, that's good advice, isn't it? It's good advice for a new believer. But here's the problem. It failed to give the why. Why do these things? I think there are some very committed Christians, some here in this room, who are very busy doing Christian, churchy things. But if asked, they might have a difficult time telling you the purpose behind why they're doing what they're doing. It's very important that purpose is accompanies effort, because effort without purpose results in, guess what, burnout. Effort without purpose results in burnout. Paul says this of his own spiritual walk in 1 Corinthians 9, 26. He says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. For many of us, the exact opposite is true, isn't it? We're running a race, and we're not real sure where we're going. But we know we're supposed to be running this race. We're supposed to be doing these things. At times, it feels like we're just beating the air. There should be purpose behind the effort you put forth. And here's the purpose. Our purpose as Christians, our number one purpose is godliness. We are to be pursuing Christ-likeness. We're to be striving to be more like Christ in activities and and spiritual disciplines like Bible intake and prayer and, and service and giving and missions, working with kids, helping your neighbor, whatever that is. Those things are the means to get us there, to make us more like Him. So avoid putting forth effort without purpose. Number four. You want to experience joy by pressing on. Encourage others to press on. Encourage others to press on. Verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, although it's tough to tell here in in the Greek, Paul is being very ironical and sarcastic in this verse. The word mature here means perfect in the Greek. And in fact, it's the same word Paul uses earlier in this passage when he says, I've not yet attained perfection. It's the same word. So Paul is very sarcastically saying here, let those who are perfect think this way. And and the reason why he is, is saying this is because there were some in the church at Philippi who were immature believers who thought that perfection was possible in this life. They thought they had it all figured out. Even though Paul is sitting here saying, I'm not even where I need to be spiritually, they thought they were. And Paul goes on to give a very practical answer on how to deal with these people. He basically says here, don't be too hard on them. Don't be too hard on them. They will get to the point through greater maturity as they mature in their faith when they'll get straightened out on these things and see that they have a long way to go spiritually Paul understands that there are different people at different places in the race and he treats them accordingly and we do that when dealing with people don't we I mean I don't treat Ava the same way I do someone my own age and I don't treat her little sister Edie the same way I do Ava for the same reasons because there are different levels of maturity. The truth is, here in this room, there, there are different levels of maturity. There are different people at different places in the race spiritually. And the first thing we have to do is, is figure out where we are in the race. Where we are on the spectrum and, and, and strive to, to grow and to press on. But we also have to understand that there's other people that aren't where we are. We have to be patient with them. We have to understand where they are and we have to encourage them to press on in hopes that as they mature in their faith, they'll get straightened out spiritually. Let me talk to the mature in here, some who are more mature than others. The best thing you can do for someone who's young in their faith is not just to look down on them and be quick to tell them where they're wrong when they say something or say they believe in something that's not correct. But rather what we need to do is just encourage them to continue to press on in the race and be patient with them and encourage them to press on and trust that over time as they learn to read and understand and apply the scriptures, they'll get there. They'll mature. And I look back at some of the things I said and wrote early on in my Christian life and I just cringe, cringe that I once believed those things. But you know what? I had some, some mature brothers and sisters in christ who were patient with me At times they would correct me but they also encouraged me to press on to continue to to pursue christ likeness and over time god brought certain things to my attention that needed to change and there are things he'll continue to show me that i need to change we need to encourage one another in this way. Paul, and Paul tells us in this verse of Scripture, be understanding of those who are less mature and encourage them to press on. Here's the final point. We're going to experience joy through pressing on. No matter how difficult, keep on keeping on. Verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Here Paul gives one final word on pressing on. He says, hold true. That is a a military term that Paul gives here. It means to keep in line with or keep in step with. In other words, Paul's saying, continue to put into practice the things that you have learned. Now, this sounds easy, doesn't it? Doesn't that just sound easy? Yeah, okay. Okay continue to do the things that I'm learning but this is probably as challenging as anything that Paul has said in this passage we've discussed this morning though we know as believers we're to get up day after day after day and and continue to live out the things that we have learned you know what you find the longer the race goes on the more difficult the race becomes Early on in my Christian life, I was about, it was about six months after I had made Christ the Lord of my life, I was on a mountaintop. I was growing by leaps and bounds, and I was the happiest that I had ever been in my life. And I even got to the point where I was like the immature that Paul makes reference to in this passage. I was beginning to be critical of other people. Like, why aren't you living this radical life? What's wrong with you? You know? I thought I had had the Christian life licked. I thought I had it all figured out. And you know what happened? The first major storm in my life happened. My pursuit of godliness eventually slowed to a stop. I learned a lot from that storm. First, I learned I didn't have the Christian life licked as I thought I did. And I learned that the Christian walk is is not easy. And the longer it gets, the more difficult it becomes. And I learned that going forward with God is a must in this life. Like any race, the longer you run, the more difficult it will be to continue. And there are many who just stop running the race. For one reason or another, they have wandered from the path and have stopped their pursuit of godliness. In the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to a group of people who have done just that. The Galatians, at one time, were living well for Christ. But after Paul leaves, they depart from the path. And Paul asks an excellent question in Galatians 5, 7. He says this, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, Paul says, You were faithfully following God. What happened? For them, it was false teachers and their false doctrine. But that's a good question for us today, isn't it? Maybe you at one time were running a good race. You were faithfully following God and pursuing godliness, but it, since then you have been sidelined from that pursuit. Let me ask the question that Paul asked the Galatians to you this morning. What has hindered you from running the race, from pressing on to be like Christ? Trust me when I say that Though the walk does not get easier, the longer it goes. Staying on the path and pressing on to be like Christ is the way to true joy. Don't believe me, just look at Paul's life. Paul's life was more down than up, wasn't it? It was up and down, but more down than up. But you know what? His joy is constant. His joy is constant. And also, I want you to know this, believers. You're not alone in the race. Don't ever think that. God has given us each other. And one thing that I think the church needs to be doing as much as anything else is encouraging one another. We need to be encouraging one another to continue in the race, to continue to put one foot in front of the other and press on to be like Christ. And also know this. God has not left us alone, has He? He promises us His presence. The post-resurrection ministry of Christ, before He ascended to to, uh, be with the Father, He gives his great commission, and then he gives a great promise. He says, I am with you always to the end of the world. So with that in mind, no matter how difficult, keep on keeping on. Maybe you're here this morning. You haven't even started the race. Maybe you've just been going through life, like Paul says, running aimlessly and boxing the wind without direction or purpose in this life. Let me encourage you this morning. Begin a race worth running. A race of purpose that results in joy. To run this race, you have to know where to begin, and the place to begin is in Christ. By trusting in Him alone for your salvation, you can move from being a sinner against God to being in right standing with Him and become a child of His. And then and only then, you can begin to run the race you were born to run. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for not leaving us in our sinful state without hope and purpose in life. But instead, Father, we we praise You that You have come to us in the person of Christ. And through Him, You have given us a chance to be made right with You so that we can depart from this wide path of death and destruction and start on your narrow path of life and purpose and joy. Father, for those here this morning who have stopped running the race for one reason or another, I pray that through your word and through your spirit that you would draw them back to your path and push them to continue in the race. Father, I pray for those here who have not yet started the race. Pray that you would do a great work in their heart and life and that today would be the day that they trust in you and begin to run the race they were born to run. In Jesus' name, amen.